thank you for supporting us so much. We, 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 we deeply appreciate your commitment to Four Directions Ministry Council. I bring you greetings from Indian country. The pastors that um, serve with us know of you and pray for you. We're glad that um, I can represent them here today. But I also want to remember before we begin that um, this is a tradition that dates back many years, is that to remind everyone here today that the land that we are gathered on is, is land that was lived, lived on and cherished by people before us. So we actually come as guests of many nations. Um, we could sum that up by speaking of the Ocheti Sakovin, which is the seven council fires of the Dakota, Nakota, Lakota people, which would also include the, the great Sioux Nation. That would not be these folks here, but it would just be the, <laughs> the native folks by, by the Sioux. And, and these people are all part of the great Anishinaabe um, tribe, which is a significant gathering of, of native people. And I know today we actually have people here today who are um, related by their indigenous um, life to some of the people that were here today. I, I mention these things by way of acknowledging the reality that we're guests on their, on their land and also that it cultivates seeds of reconciliation between um, ourselves and Native people. And it serves to undo indigenous erasure, which is a significant thing. I think many of you can relate to that. So even hearing these words might be uncomfortable um, to hear that we're actually meeting on somebody else's land that was, um, the land was taken from them and treaties were broken. Um, but I share these things with the hope that things that happened in the past can be redeemed and we can bring from reconciliation, uh, not just only civilly, um, but also among the way that Christ is represented. For there was a time when he was poorly represented to these, to these people. This morning we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 15. If you bought a Bible, you could find that at Luke chapter 15. We also have slides that will be here. And um, I suppose I can try, this is a lot of technology for this old sinner, but I can maybe try to learn to advance them. If not, I'll have to give somebody the signal. Oh, good, very good. Let's begin by prayer. Lord Jesus, would you bless the five loaves and two fishes of my study to feed these people here who belong to you? Feed us, we pray. May the Holy Spirit speak deeply into our hearts as we hear your word. Pray these things because of Jesus' great love and in his name, amen. Let me begin by just blessing you and to say, fear not, little flock, for it is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom of God. Best thing you could ever get. Amen? David Cho reminded me I have 30 minutes this morning. I've already burned off about five of them. But I'm not unhappy to let you know that it is 30 minutes because I know that anyone can endure almost anything. If they just know when it will end. So, so we have before us three parables of great similarity. 
Each of the parables involves something that's lost. A sheep, a coin, a son and brother. Now Jesus tells these parables to those that were standing there with him, verses 1 and 2, to, he spoke to tax collectors, and then to sinners, and the Pharisees, who were the leaders of the church, who really everybody was um, afraid of, because they had this presence, they were also there listening, and they were grumbling and speaking down about Jesus because he ate and spoke with sinners. Pretty interesting. That sets the that sort of frames the backdrop of these of these stories. Jesus in his first parable says this as we read verse three. So he told them this parable. What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he was to lose one, does not leave the ninety nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner that repents than over the ninety-nine righteous who need no repentance. Jesus wasted no time going for the Pharisees because he, he saw them as the ninety-nine who thought they need no repentance. And in fact, they did. They, they, they were ones that were not trusting in, in the things that he has to say. But he did this by way of parables and by way of stories. A parable is simply put like this. It's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And it's easy to understand parables. Who can't understand that, that this guy had 100 sheep, one wandered off, he left the 99, went to find the one and brought it back. That, that's, that's simple. In the same manner, Jesus said, There'll be joy in heaven over one sinner that repents. So he begins to introduce the idea of repentance. He he also introduces the idea of something being lost. It's a lost sheep. Now the second parable, starting in verse 8, is is basically the same parable as as the first one. It's a little different. He says this, What woman, having ten silver coins, if she were to lose one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house, and seek diligently until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors and says, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that was lost. Jesus said, Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of heaven over one sinner who repents. His message is clearly repentance. Whether it's a hundred sheep losing one, or whether it's ten coins losing one, he said, she goes and looks for that one. Jesus is speaking of his life's work, going to seek those that are saved, those that are lost, and return them to the fold. That's what Jesus is is doing. He's calling people to repent. One sheep matters. One coin matters. And these stories simply have simple meanings, yet the power of what he's saying transcends the simplicity of the story. And that's the hallmark of Jesus' teaching. No one could say, you know, when he talks, I really don't understand what he's saying. No one can say that because this, the, simp- the stories were so simple that they could not be misunderstood. The plainness is intentional so that me- these people will be without excuse. No one can say, 
He spoke above my head. He didn't speak in another language. He didn't preach his, his sermons in Latin. He spoke them in the language of, of the people he was with, the common people. Even Revelation 1 emphasizes the idea of having no excuse by saying it is evident by, by the heavens and by the creation that there must be a God who created these things. Therefore, men are without excuse just on the basis of creation, that, that God reveals himself in creation. So having the clarity of the scripture brought to bear upon the lives of those that Christ walked with was what he came to do. Now, we turn our attention to the focus of the parable of the, of the wasteful son. That, that's what the word prodigal means. Prodigal means just wasteful. Good to see the bridge gang here. Holler to the bridge. Thanks for coming. Yeah, really great. I actually know at least two of you, which is a miracle, but I'm glad you're here. Stories of two sons. The oldest son was a good boy. Did as he was told, did not talk back. Sat still in church, did his homework, cleaned his room, and he had friends that his parents approved of. He played the game of brother a little better than his little brother. You know how little brothers can be. They don't get treated like the older brother. The older one always says, I could never get away with that. But you don't say anything to him because they, they were the ones that were closely watched. The youngest child, he was the wild child. He had itchy feet. He was distracted, broody, volatile. He is the one that had to be called twice to dinner. If his dad was calling for dinner, his, the first son would come running, and the other, this other one often would have to be coming on the third call just to push the envelope. I was watching these two boys in the airport when I was on my way in. They were young, young guys, little, little, little guys like this. And then one was just giving his family the business. And he, she had three boys, and I thought, this lady, this is and she was a young person, as was the, the, the father. And this one boy would not behave. And she said, whatever his name was, she called him, and he ignored her. She called him again, and she said, come over here. And he just looked at her, and she said, it's in five, four, three, two, one. <laughs> and one came and nothing happened. <laughs> so it's like, why should I come over there? But this was how this younger brother was. He had ideas. He had suitcases in his eyes. He wanted to go someplace. He wanted to see life. He wanted to experience something. There had to be something greater than, than this. So we pick up the story, verse 12. The younger of these brothers said to his father, Father, give me the share of, of the property that's coming to me. And the father divided his property between the two brothers. So the younger brother just said, I know you have money, Dad, and I know I'm in your will. I want it now. I just want to go now. I don't want to wait around till you die. Give me your money. Give me my slice of that because I need to go. Give me, he demanded. No need to wait for the reading of the will after Dad died. It was, I know you have money. I want my portion now. But the deeper issue was he wanted out from under the watchful care of his father and away from his authority. 
because he knew better. He knew better. He had quite a large dose of pride in his heart. He knew better than his dad on how to live. All he needed was money to make it happen. And his father did that. That, to me, is remarkable. This thing is rubbing against my, my, my chin ears. So, sorry, there's so many of them. And the father gave him the money. Verse 13 says, Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his pro- property in reckless living. That's why he's called the prodigal. He was wasteful. He just took that money and he partied hardy. And he just did whatever he wanted to with no, no boundaries, no rules, no, um, no one overlooking. He went far away. He went away like Jonah. He just took off. Truth is, you, you don't need to go far to get into the world, do you? It is right next door. God spoke to Cain in the garden, and he said, Cain, sin is crouching at your door. The world was that close. It was right at the doorstep. And how much more so for our kids today who don't need to go outside of the house to find the world. They can find it on their devices. The world, is, the world wants to eat your children. And this is what was happening to this young guy. This was before iPads, laptops, and everything else. This, this was just the, the, the old-fashioned call of the wild. It was the, the desire to sow his oats. And off he went. Mr. Big loaded with daddy's money, and he was living it up, partying, drinking. As the song I remember from the 1970s says, when you got money, you got lots of friends crowding around your door. But when all the money's gone, they won't be coming around no more. Blood, sweat, and tears, 1970 or so. The good line. And he had money. You know, I don't know how long it took for him to burn through his, um, his uh, credit cards, gas cards, whatever he had the money on, however, whatever it was. I don't know. But you can use your imagination. But I think he was gone a while. He was gone a while because he was known in his community. We, we, we know that from the scripture. Because it seems he was gone so long that it seems like the older brother was able to find out where he was and the older brother was getting news on his younger, embarrassing brother. Because he, he knew he had, some, he had some assets. He had some ears and eyes in different places. And you know how gossip is. Bad news can travel halfway around the world before good news can get its shoes on. So the word was out. Well, in verse 14, we see that when the prodigal, which is the he, when he had spent everything, a severe famine rose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the field to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs were eating. And no one gave him anything. That last line is pretty important. No one gave him anything. Because they all had come to know that what a fool he was. And you want from me now? 
after you took from your father to do what you did? I have nothing for you. But he was, he was a fool. He established himself as one and had nothing. No savings, no money for a rainy day, no plan B. Didn't stick any money in his sock, didn't have any up under his hat, didn't have anything in his, in his belt, zippered in. He had nothing. And he wanted to, he got a job working with the pigs. Now this young man um, probably didn't like that job very much. I'm not, I'm not sure. I've been around pigs in uh, pens. It's nasty business, you know. They taste great, but when they're alive, they're nasty. <laughs> While he was there, verse 17 picks the story up, and it says, he came to himself and said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. Because he knew that his hired servants, his dad's hired servants, did better than he was doing feeding the pigs. Now, with as many people that are here, and I know as many guests here today, it's possible that you may be here as a, a bit of a skeptic, that you, you, you don't really believe all this, but you come. Maybe you're investigating. Maybe you're saying, I'm willing to listen. This is why I come. But I'm not sure all this is really real. Is this, is, did this really happen? Is this a real story? It, I, I don't know. Maybe you're not trusting Jesus and you just don't buy all this. Now, there are, there are people that I know, and myself at times, I trust the claims of Jesus and live by them, but there are times when I question the realities, is this really going to work this way? So that's not something that you just grows away as you become a seasoned Christian. There's always the battle of the mind in there. So I would invite you, as I move toward bringing this to a point, bringing the servant to a point, that you ask God to really help you understand if this is really real. And, it, and if so, how is it real to you? Or how is it real to me? And, and pray that. Say, Lord, how is this real to me? And God, the Holy Spirit will, will answer that prayer. I wanted to share that with you. Scripture says the prodigal came to himself. Verse 17, he came to himself. That's a turning point because in the moment there was this realization that he was living an out-of-control mad life. Sin is madness. Sin is madness. It's a violation of God's law, but sin is Sin is madness. You're out, of, you're out of your mind doing what you're doing. Because you, if you were thinking about what you, what you were doing, you might say, I, I shouldn't be doing this. But you just do it anyway. He came to himself, and there was an awakening. Maybe the booze wore off. Maybe the dizziness stopped for him. Maybe his stomach started to feel better. But there was nonetheless an awakening. And that way awakening is a sacred awareness in the soul of people that something's not right between me and God. And you know what? 
I think he's real. And that awakens. That precedes all of our conversions. Nobody comes to himself by himself. I wrote in parentheses, boom, in my notes. Nobody comes to himself by himself. We come to ourselves because the Holy Spirit quickens, awakens our soul. And he gives us life. And in that giving of life, we think things that we've never thought before. You can hear a message over and over and over and, and never be moved or, con- or converted or changed by it. But then one day you realize, wait a minute, this is talking about me. That's what happened to the prodigal. He came to himself. He started to realize things. Nothing like having this kind of trouble. Proverbs says that the road of the transgressor is hard. The road of the transgressor is set with thorns. It's a hard road when, when you go outside of, of the things that God has for us. But the prodigal came to himself, and he started to think of home, and he thought of his father, and he also thought about his heavenly father. And repentance came to him. Um, the, your prayer this morning was so good, speaking of repentance. Thank you, sister, about that. Repentance came to him, and he said, I will arise. In that moment of arising, he realized that that was the place where his repentance took place. Sin brings people down. People that die in their sins go down, way down. Is that right? Yeah. For those, the soul that sins, it will die. And those dead souls go to the ash heap of, of, of eternity called hell. Sin brings you down. Repentance is arising up. And he rose up. And repentance came first. He rose up. He didn't say, first, I have sinned, but it said, I will arise. The repentance preceded the confession. Out of repentance comes confession, not confession and repentance. Repentance came first. He arose, and then he confessed, I have sinned. And there, he wasted no time. One of the reasons this, it, this portion is important to me is I heard a sermon on it, and the sermon disturbed me. And the pastor who spoke spoke really well. He was an excellent preacher. And his whole premise was that the, the first parable... The shepherd went to look for the sheep. In the second parable, the woman swept the house looking for the coin. But in the third parable of the son, no one goes and looks for the son. And he said, that, that should have happened. The older brother should have went to look for his brother. The father should have went to look for his son. That didn't happen. Nobody went. And then he preached them on missions. You have to go. He's calling you to go. And he said it was a really good mission presentation, but I thought, I don't like it. I don't know if that's I don't know if that's the crux of this matter that nobody went to look for the son. Because he got found without anyone looking for him. Because people are not coins and people are not animals like a sheep. People have a soul that operates 
in another realm around us that 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 space where God and man meet who can know that space how intimate is that space to you and to me it's it's an amazing amazing space how sweet the sound the issue wasn't come home and behave and stop embarrassing the family. It wasn't someone going to find him and drag him home by the ear. That wasn't what the son needed. The son had come to terms with his deadness, the deadness of his own life. And the haunting reality of that became more than he could bear. Now, of course, he was starving. Anyone has to be starving to want to eat what the pigs are eating. That worked on him. He needed, he needed to come home. Jesus came to seek and to save those that were lost and return them to the fold. Jesus said he came to save and return them to the fold. That's the work of Jesus. That's what he does. Jesus did not come into this world to make bad people good. He came here to make dead people live. Amen, right? Not here to make good, bad people good. He came here to make dead people live. That's a big thing. There's a way that seems right to a man, Scripture says, but the end of that road is the way of death. In his dead estate, the Holy Spirit convicted the the son that he needed a redeemer, that he needed something. He might not have even known all those things. Who knows what he learned at home from his parents. We don't, we're not told. We don't know. We, 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 don't, we just don't know. It seems like they, they were devout to some degree, but we just don't know what message he was, was taking away. Don't know if dad had devotions at the table. Don't know if they were, um, if they were listening and um, taking it in. Don't know. But he knew this. He needed a redeemer. Scripture says... He arose. In his mind, he said, I will arise and go. But in verse 20, he said, he actually arose. And he came to his father. But while he was a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. And his father ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's eat and celebrate for this, my son was dead and now he's alive. This this wasn't, this my son used to be a misbehaving brat and now he's a good boy. He said, this is my son who was dead and now he's alive. That's the message. And that's the word of God. That he came home and they began to celebrate. This is really the story of the Bible. It's really the only story in Scripture. And it is told to us in different ways throughout every chapter, throughout every book, all the way through, beginning to end. It's the same exact story. All the way through. Here, the son's got some pretty nice clothes. He's got a new ring. He's got shoes on his feet. He walked home barefoot. 
and they had a big party. And his brother came in from the field in verse 25, um, if someone's doing these for me. And he came and he drew near to the house and he heard music and he heard dancing. And he called to one of his servants and said, what, what's, what's going on? What, what does this all mean? And the servant said, your brother came home and your father has killed a fattened calf because he received him back safe and sound. He was angry and he refused to go in. And his father came out and entreated him and he said to his son, look, the son says, for many years I've served you. Never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. When this son of yours comes, doesn't even say, my brother. He, he speaks him in an abstraction. This son of yours comes home who has devoured your property with prostitutes and killed the fatted calf for him. He said to him, son, you've, you've always been with me. All that is mine is yours. It's fitting to celebrate and be glad. But this, your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. So even you see this inside, this tension between the older brother. The older brother's, the older brother's, brother's response to the father wasn't great. He gritted his teeth and did what he was told because his, his heart was not related to what he looked like on the outside. He came to dinner on time, but inside, he, he was, he, something was going wrong. He was, it was sour inside. And then he reveals, that the, son reveal, the oldest son reveals that he knew some stuff. He said, yeah, yeah he, he did spend his money on prostitutes. He, you know, he did um, waste everything that you gave him. He, he was aware through some of the people that, that were telling him about his, his brother. He, he brought it up to his dad to still promote himself. He must have had connections, and he was certainly well-informed as to his brother's behavior, and he was quite happy to tell on his brother. Here Jesus, in this portion of the Scripture, really gets to the nub of what he was doing in that the Pharisees did not really want to hear what Christ had to say. What they really wanted to do was just catch him saying something wrong so they could accuse him. They weren't listening to be changed or to be to be taught, they were listening to to catch him, and here he lays the axe at the root of the error of the Pharisees who were listening. The Pharisees were ones that sat in the house of the Lord faithfully, but did not know the Lord of the house. Imagine coming to church regularly as some of you may, come to the house of the Lord, but not know the Lord of the house. Big difference. There's not much merit in coming to church. If there was, many people would be get extra points and stars and whatever, but the merits are, are, are ours as we follow Christ. The older brother <clears throat> was left alone to stew in his own juices, clinging to his resume, clinging to his curriculum vitae, or VT, however you say it in Latin. His history and course of life, his resume has sustained good works. The story is just lost on the older brother, as it was lost upon the Pharisees who just stood by, listening, 
waiting for a way to catch Jesus. Blind to this great story of forgiveness and restoration. For it was the older brother, the one who sticks closer than a brother, he was the one that really changed the story. Not the older brother of the father in the story, but our older brother. It was the third brother. It's the brother that stick is closer than a brother, our brother Jesus, who in the garden went looking for Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve didn't come to themselves and say, we should go find Jesus. We did something wrong. They, they did the same as the prodigal. They decided that, that they would try to fix their sin and found fig leaves to cover them. But fig leaves couldn't cover their sin. They found a bush to hide in Found, found maybe some relief that they could hide in, in a bush and away from the Lord Jesus. But there's one who sticks closer than a brother. He went looking for them. He found them. They weren't looking for him. And he found them for a very urgent reason, at least in the garden. He wanted to get to them before they made the ultimate mistake, and that would have been eating from the tree of, an, of life which would have locked them into this a sinful life forever. Which is why in the context of the story, that once they leave the garden, the, an, the angel of the Lord stands watch that no one could come in and eat from that tree. Because he, that, that tree would have kept them in their sin. But that, there was a Redeemer coming. In Genesis 3, 16, Jesus reveals the Lord um, brought with him forgiveness. Our Lord has the healing in his wings, and he showed him the cost of forgiveness by sacrificing a lamb and shedding the blood that their sin could be forgiven. And then he clothed them with the, with the clothing of the, of the lamb. That, those things come from Christ. We can't cover our sin by the things we find aware. It only is covered by the blood of Christ. This is the kind of brother Adam and Eve needed, and it's the kind of brother the prodigal needed. How could, it be, how could the prodigal have ever made restitution? As Tim Keller describes in his book on this chapter, forgiveness always involves a price. Somebody must pay. My mother always used to tell me, I'm sorry, doesn't pay the bill. I hit a baseball one time and broke a lamp in my neighbor's yard, and I went and said, I'm sorry. And I went home and told my mom, and she said, Debbie, I'm sorry, doesn't pay the bill. I said, what do you mean? She said, well, who's going to replace the lamp? You broke it. I said, I'm sorry. No, he says, you broke the lamp. You need to you need to provide money to replace what you broke. So I'm sorry it doesn't pay the bill, but the bill got paid. The debt was so great that no man could ever pay it. This is the gospel. Our elder, our true elder brother paid our debt on the cross. He paid our debt and, and took our place on the cross. And this is the gospel, and it's the meaning of this parable. Not only the prodigal, not only the older brother, not only the Pharisees, but we ourselves have left home. We ourselves. Scripture says we have all gone astray and turned each of us to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He comes to bring us home. Are are you sitting in the house of the Lord today? Do you know the Lord of the house? Do you have children who've gone astray? Do you have some who say, well, I know they're with me, but I know they're not really here. They, they, they've left me in their heart. 
pray the Holy Spirit to meet your to meet them. Pray the Holy Spirit for your children if they if they're not walking with the Lord. And I would say this that you should pray with one eye closed and the other eye watching out the window for their return. Children come home. Nobody comes back unwounded when they go their own way. The prodigal was wounded. But he was better off with his wound than he was, than his older brother was. For no one who comes in contact with Jesus can ever walk away the way he walked to him. Ask Jacob that. He's the one in heaven that's limping around because the Lord touched his hip. That's a good way to, to be found. It's a good way to remember that the Lord comes for his children. These are good ideas. I prepared these with you in mind, and I hope that the Lord has spoken to your heart. Let's pray. Lord, please let the chaff of things I may have said that needed not be said, may that chaff blow away. And may the kernels of good truth find good soil in the hearts of these that are here this morning. May you do good things because we heard this story. We bless your name that you have come to find us and we bless your name that you will continue to find people through those that serve in missions, through us here and home. Come for your children, Lord Jesus, come. In Christ's name, amen.